All right, everybody, this is uh, Lectures from the ICU, episode number two. We're going to talk about sepsis today. Um, if there's noise in the background, it's because we're live on shift in the ICU. So anyway, so, so, so sepsis, the definition of sepsis depends on the insurance company. And the reason, and and I, I'm 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 100% serious. The reason because there's there's two definitions of sepsis. There's one called there's one called sepsis two, okay, and that's the old definition. And CMS Medicare still follows the old definition of sepsis. And what the old definition of sepsis, the one that we all grew up on, was you have SIRS, which is the systemic inflammatory response syndrome. So that's like fever, uh, high white count, low temperature, low white count, tachycardia, tachypnea. Um, that's SIRS, the systemic inflammatory response syndrome. And then if you have an infection, either known or suspected, right, then that, it, that overlap is sepsis. So for example, Technically, if you know, don't don't do this, but you could call in and say, "Hey, I have a fever of 101. My heart rate's 110, and I think I have a UTI. So I'm septic. So I'm calling off." And according to sepsis two, you'd be correct because any so so that's they call that sepsis. The problem with that definition is SIRS is very nonspecific, right? So you can get SIRS. After trauma, you can get SIRS after watching a scary movie. You can get SIRS after going to a haunted house. You can get SIRS after pancreatitis. And there's a lot of things that are not infectious that can give you that that, that can give you SIRS, right? That's the problem with with sepsis too. So somebody that comes in from a nursing home, for example, and they're you know, they're tachycardic and they're febrile and they have a UTI. I mean, they're not septic in what we think in the ICU of sepsis. You know what I mean? So, so, so then in, in 2016, I believe, they they did all this research and thousands of patients, and they came up with what what they call sepsis three. And sepsis three is organ dis, organ dysfunction as a as a consequence of a dysregulated host response to infection. That's the definition. Okay. And all of us in, in critical care, are like, yeah, but that, but, but you, but you think about it. That's that's really what sepsis is. is. It's organ failure because of because of the body's response to infection. So, you have somebody that comes in with renal failure, altered mental status. They're hypotensive because they have a pneumonia, like pneumococcal pneumonia. That's sepsis, right? Okay, that's life. That's life threatening. Having a fever and tachycardia with it, with a with a UTI. And you're walking in the IC, you know, you're walking into the ER. That's not life. That's not life-threatening organ dysfunction. But you know, when you you're hypotensive, you're in shock, you're renal failure, you have liver failure because of a pneumonia or because of a UTI. Okay, that's that's sepsis. So and so the way they quantified the way they quantified that is what by the by the SOFA score, the sepsis-related organ failure assessment. And there are six things with that score. So it's it's um, oxygenation, as measured by the by the PF by, by the PF ratio, um, or or yeah the PF ratio or the, the PO2. You have platelet count, 
you have um, bilirubin, uh, you have blood pressure, hemodynamics, you have mental status measured by the Glasgow Coma Scale, and you have, so there's, there's one more, so oxygenation, platelet count, bilirubin, blood pressure, Glasgow Coma Scale, uh, and renal function, serum creatinine. I pray that everyone's SOFA score here is zero. Okay? So depending on how bad each your organ failure is, you get a point. So if your creatinine is four, you get, I think, like, like three points. And they're, they're online. They're all the SOFA calculators. So anybody with an infection and a SOFA score of two or greater, that's sepsis. Okay? And the way they, the, the way they picked SOFA is because you can pick up, hopefully, sepsis in the hospital. So somebody who already comes in with a creatinine of three, right, and then develops, goes, goes to creatinine of six, and now the liver enzymes are going up, and they're a little bit more lethargic, and they're more hypotensive, they might be, they might be becoming septic. And in, a, in the hospital, it's very hard to, to, to detect sepsis a lot of times, right? So that's why they say, okay, if their baseline sulfur score was three, now it's eight, and they're having a fever, oh, maybe they're becoming septic. So they're trying to pick up the sepsis that's in the hospital. Everybody that's coming from home who's otherwise healthy, yeah, if 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 they're creatinine two, that's a sulfur score two. They're they're and they have a UT, they have an infection, then they're technically septic, right? So 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 really the definition. So the 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 commercial insurance companies love sepsis three because they can go back and deny all the charts who have a diagnosis with sepsis two. And they're like, well, that's not the evidence-based practice of septic. So we're going to deny this claim, and you owe us $5,000 because we overpaid that bill. right? But the problem is Medicare holds me to sepsis 2. I'm held to account for sepsis 2, but the insurance company is saying, no, 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 it's sepsis 3. And the insurance company is technically correct. right? This is the most recent evidence-based definition of sepsis. So let me stop there. Any questions about that? So, but but in like we as as people in the ICU, you understand what they're trying to come from. That really sepsis is somebody that's that's trying to die from an infection, right? The the body's reaction is trying to kill them because of the infection. That makes sense. It's not really fever and tachycardia, or they're febrile and a little bit tachypnic, and they have a they have a a, U, a UTI or they have a little bit of a, they have a, a cold. Like literally, if you have the flu and fever and tachycardia, that's technically sepsis. But that's not life-threatening. You know what I mean? So, so those are the definitions. The principles of treatment are the same. Whether you have sepsis 1, sepsis 2, the principles of treatment are exactly the same. Right? And that's x-ray? I'll look at it when, uh, when, when PAX is coming. We're almost done. So number one principle of treatment is a high index of, of suspicion. Okay? We, we, we got to be thinking about a sepsis all the time. So people don't come into the ER saying, you're not a septic. They come to the ER saying, I'm tired, I'm nauseous, I'm weak, I'm, I'm, I'm dizzy, uh, I have back pain. Uh, I saw a patient who actually died from septic shock. She came in with rapid AFib. And she had MDS. She was immunocompromised. She had an underlying infection. Everyone was treating the rapid AFib. While the infection was brewing, she came to us too late. She had multi-organ failure and she passed away. So people, you gotta always be thinking about sepsis because it's all it can look like a million different things. Okay, so you have to have a high index of suspicion. Number two, prompt 
antibiotics. If you're slow, people die. If you're wrong, people die. So broad spectrum, antibiotics, as soon as you suspect it. Within an hour or less, even better. And, and they showed that the longer you wait to give broad spectrum antibiotic therapy, the higher the mortality. And if we're wrong in the beginning, the higher the mortality. So you really got to be right and fast with antibiotics, right? And you can start broad, and then when you get culture, the narrow, or if you don't get culture, you don't have MRSA or whatever, then you tailor it. But we got to hit them hard in the beginning, okay? Here's number three, Hasebolus. Aggressive, this is me, Hasebolus. Aggressive fluid resuscitation is my belief. Now, there's been a big debate about do we, we give too much fluids for antibiotics, you know, for, for sepsis, and the restrictive fluid is better, and all these people, they, these believers in the restrictive fluid theory, right, have done randomized trial after randomized trial after randomized trial, and every single one of them did not show that aggressive fluid resuscitation was harmful. They are the same. So I am in the aggressive camp. 30 ml per kilo, minimum. And if they continue to be fluid responsive, I continue to give them fluid. Okay? It's not forever. I'm not just giving 100 liters of fluid. No. There is danger to giving too much fluid, right? But if they are, I mean, a lot of times the COVID patients, they'd come in super dehydrated, right? And we, we want to keep them dry, but not at the expense of their kidney function. If they're dehydrated, tank them up. Once they stop responding to fluids, then stop, right? And if they're still hypotensive as we're resuscitating, start vasopressors right away. We shouldn't wait for them to you know, continue to have them be hypotensive. No, but we should do them simultaneously. But if someone comes in, they're sick, they're not eating, they've been throwing up, or they're in diarrhea, and they don't, they don't feel well, they, they have no appetite, and then we give them you know, a cup of coffee, a two, the 250 cc bolus is literally a cup of coffee. It's literally an eight ounce cup of coffee. Not only that, we give it to them over an hour. So we're not only we're giving someone who's so super sick, they're sitting just, Mm. Uh, eight ounce cup of coffee. No, no, no. Give them a liter, two, three, until uh, uh, you know thirty cc per, per kilo. And if they're one hundred kilos, that's three liters. If they're two hundred kilos, that's six liters. If they're three hundred kilos, that's nine liters. Yeah, nine nine liters. If you have to start vasopressors, do so. But you know, I'm in the I'm in the aggressive camp, and and multiple studies have vindicated Dr. Hasabolis, and there's no harm in giving aggressive. There's a limit. You can't just keep giving, you know, saline forever or LR forever. But under, I don't believe in under resuscitating in the very beginning, right? And then source control. That's the other crucial, crucial. If they have an abscess, you got to drain the abscess. If they have an infected line, you got to pull the line out. If they have an infected pacemaker lead, you got to pull the lead out. Because we could be giving fluids, antibiotics, and pressors until the cows come home. It doesn't matter if the source is not taken care of. If they have a, a, an obstruction, Relieve the obstruction. They have a, an empyema, we have to drain it. They have an abscess in the belly, you got to drain it. Otherwise, they will never get better. They will not get better. So source control is absolutely critical. It's finding where, a lot of times, we don't, we don't know the source. Half of the time, at least half of the time, if not more, I don't know where the infection is. Right? We suspect it could be a pneumonia, it could be a UTI, maybe it's something. But if, if they're not getting better, we, we should search for the source. You know, I think we had a patient with a pacemaker lead infection. Um, and you know, he never he kept was sick, favor and pressors and, and leukocytes. As soon as you pulled the as soon as you pulled the lead out, he magically got better. Yeah, you gotta 
take the source of the infection out. You don't, we don't control the source, the patient will, 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 will never get better. And those are the main, the main principles of, of, of sepsis. We've tried everything. We've tried uh, activated protein C. We've tried uh, anti-endotoxin antibodies. We've tried, you name it, we've tried it. Fluids and antibiotics. That's what saves people's lives in, in, in sepsis. So we have to always be thinking about it. We have to be very quick in, 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 in treating it. And then take care of the source if we can find the source. And that's that's kind of the the, the kind of the, the the gist of sepsis. What questions? Do we have any questions? Any concerns? Where does the Q sofa fit into the? The Q the, so that's a very good question. So where does the where does the Q sofa score? So the Q sofa is like a quick sofa score, and it's it's mental status, blood pressure, and respiratory rate. So it's like a quick and dirty look to to say, uh, okay, could they be becoming septic? That's where they they. Because the SOFA score is like, you have to have a, a PO2, you have to have a serum creatinine, you have to have a, um, uh, you have to have a Glasgow coma scale, a bilirubin, a platelet count. So the quick SOFA is like for a rapid response. You could do a quick SOFA score. Someone walks in, they're febrile and they're obtunded and tachypnic and hypotensive. They're like saying, okay, maybe the more elements of the Q SOFA you have, the higher the mortality. But you, but you're gonna know. I, I think you're gonna know that as a rapid response nurse, as a critical care clinician, you walk in and they're lethargic and they're hypotensive, and they have a fever. That okay, I'm, they're probably sepsis. So that's where the Q sofa is coming in to try to give you a quick and dirty. That's why it's called the quick sofa, a quick and dirty assessment to say, oh my God, this patient could be septic. And I argue, and we all argued, a lot of us in their field said, hey, if they are obtunded and hypotensive and tachypnic, we're too late. Right, it's we're way we're way behind the eight ball, so. But that's where the Q sofa comes. Just try to a, a quick and dirty assessment. Again, because more because when you sepsis is so easily missed, and it's mimicked by a lot of things. It mimics a lot of things. We're trying to raise the awareness so we don't miss septic patients. Because if you miss them, and the and the and the organ dysfunction and the and the cycle starts, it's very hard to control it. Once the, 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 the pathophysiology has unleashed the body. It's very difficult to come under control. When you're, when you're already behind, a lot of times you can't. And you know, that's, how a lot of, that's how a lot of COVID patients died. They became septic, right? And then everything just spiraled out of control and, and there's nothing we, could, nothing we could do to stop it. I mean, we did everything we could. They were on antibiotics forever. I mean, it's, I'm not blaming anybody. That's just how, how it went. But that's what, they're, what we're trying to do with, with the new rules is to try to make sure that we're thinking about sepsis all the time so that we don't miss it. Because a lot of times it just, it just mimics other things. So that's where the quick sofa comes in. Questions? Oh, that's, a very good, that's a good question. What's the purpose or the, or the, the utility of procalcitonin? It's not, not very useful um, for sepsis, right? Procalcitonin can tip you off to a bacterial infection. So if somebody comes in with a procalcitonin of 50, right, which I've seen, and 99 and 15, that kind of tells you mm, there's probably a bacterial infection. Maybe you want to treat with antibiotics, right? But I don't think uh, like a really high procalcitonin is going to tell you, oh, this patient's septic as opposed to a low procalcitonin. I, I, it, it doesn't figure into my thinking. Now, the highest procalcitonins I've seen have been with gram-negative septic shock. 
or gram-negative infection or gram-negative bacteremia. But I don't think procrastinone is part of that thinking or part of that universe. I think it's I think it's it was hope it was hoped to be a marker of bacterial infection so that we don't treat people without bacterial infection unnecessarily. But uh, I'm not sure it's panned out that way, unfortunately.